Hey, it's Guy here, and you're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MKT Call. It's a video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday, live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we are joined by Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young from SoFi for their investment analysis. So check it out, and if you like it, follow at Market Call on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media on YouTube so you never miss an episode. Wednesday, June 8th, 1 p.m. on the East Coast. Uh, Before we get started, the Rangers did not show up last night in Tampa Bay, much to my chagrin. I don't know what letter that word starts with, but I'm chagrined nonetheless. I am Guy Adami. I'm always joined by Dan Nathan. And on Wednesdays, that's today, we're always joined by Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting. Today's episode is brought to you by FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And we, Dan, are powered by open exchange check them out on the twitter at open exchange tv now it's interesting dan because yeah. we chat about the market call in the morning well things have turned um things have turned around a bit since this morning and that's what makes markets as they say we're going to get into it but how are you today i'm doing well guy and i do feel for your rangers i got home in between the second and the third period they were down to nothing already and it just didn't feel pretty good so the fact that you're saying they didn't show up is quite disappointing but you did say this morning that if you knew that they were going to have home court advantage in a best of three when the series started, you'd just be happy with that, wouldn't you? So you're Check happy that box. That. If you had said, listen, playoffs mm-hmm. started when they're down 3-1 yep. to the Pittsburgh Penguins. If you said, you know what, they're down 3-1 in the series, G-Swizz. <laughs> but in a few weeks, if not longer, they will be in a now effectively a best-of-three series against the defending Stanley Cup champs, two-time defending Cup champs. Uh, with home ice advantage, I'd say, Dan, where do I sign? But you'd nobody's say coming mine. You'd stuff. say mine. Isn't that, that what they say? Yes, buyer. All right, let's Speaking do this. Speaking of yes buyers, uh, Carter's <laughs> going to join us. But please continue, Dan. Carter Braxtonworth of Worth Charting is going to join us. He's got some great work from his overnight, uh, I guess, email that he sends out to all of his subscribers. So we're going to hit some of that stuff here. All right, let's talk about this guy because, you know, we've been talking about it on the market call. We've been talking about it on Fast Money. I mean, if you're a bull of the market, you have to believe that the Fed is going to land the plane. They're going to have a soft landing. We're starting to hear um, a bit more of that. There was an article in Bloomberg this morning. Inflation is poised to ease according to these three key indicators. The Fed have basically barely begun to raise interest rates. We know Mm -hmm. the CME Fed funds tracker is suggesting 50 bips next week and 50 bips in July. And maybe a lot of this jawboning is already starting to do the job. I think the Bloomberg article highlights the fact that DRAM contract pricing are coming in, jewelry shipping index is coming in, and the North American fertilizer index is coming in. And then our friend Tom Lee over at FS Insight, he's pretty pretty bullish. He's steadfast that he thinks the Fed um, is going to nail that soft landing scenario. He likens it to the 1980s inflation when broken, when uh, inflation broke, basically when goods inflation peaked. So talk to me about this a little bit, because I think, you know, we had Marco Kalanovich um, of JP Morgan on last night. He kind of thinks the same thing. We're going to get into his headline that he made um, on the show last night. How does this all mesh for you? 
Well, a few things. So I, I agree that all these indicators are trending lower. They're trending lower because the economy is softening and we're raising interest rates. We're hiking into a softening environment and they're hiking because they have to. Now, these things are rolling over, yes, but you're still talking about inflation rate that's probably close to three times where they ever envisioned it or where they wanted it to be, number one. So yes, they can roll over, but yes, inflation is still a problem. What clearly is not brought up in these articles because it doesn't serve the narrative is the fact that not only is the Fed raising rates, they're also reducing their balance sheets simultaneously. And there are knock-on effects to that as well in terms of what it does to the market. And in terms of Tom Lee, yes, I would, I would agree with him. The soft landing scenario is strengthening. But where is it strengthening from? I mean, is it strengthening from a stock that's sort of, you know, down 80% and finding its footing? So what I'm trying to say is, yes, it is strengthening, but you're still talking about a situation where I think maybe has a 10 to 15% chance of happening. I don't think there's any shot, in my opinion, whatsoever, that they land this plane and they navigate a soft landing. And, you know, I guess a soft landing is different to everybody, but in my world... um, there's no way they can land this without there being some carnage around, along the way. And I happen to think the carnage, carnage is going to find itself in the market. And unfortunately for a lot of people out there, the carnage is going to find itself in their pocketbooks because although some of these indicators are absolutely rolling over, the major indicator, which we will talk about, is anything but rolling over right now. And that's obviously energy. Yeah, it, it is energy. But the one thing I'll just say, you know, where I am 100% agreement, we haven't even mentioned unemployment. And every day there seems to be a large employer that's either ratcheting back employment expectations or actually um, making announcements about layoffs. And I think once that kind of hits, I think some of these things that we're talking about with these, you know, I, I think Tom's point about the goods inflation once it broke, as it did in the 80s, I guess, you know, that's what I, I guess Target is confirming for him, right? That they mm-hmm. have too much inventory. Maybe it's partially a demand thing. Maybe it wasn't misexecution. And therefore, if they have to start to discount, well, that's going to hurt their margins. And maybe there's still not demand at a discounted price for some of this stuff. So to me, I think it's really too early to kind of call that. I just wanted to throw this chart up here because, you know, you and I had remarked earlier in the year, this move in U.S. Steel, and really this was playing towards their kind of reopening trade, China reopening. And you saw what happened once China was in lockdown for the last couple of months. I just think it's important that you're seeing, okay, this doesn't mean that steel prices are rolling over. It just means that the stock got ahead of itself here. We had some unforeseen sort of supply chain and demand sort of issues probably. And then all of a sudden, here we are, this thing's consolidating below 200-day moving average. Some strategists might point to a chart like that to help them make the case for a soft landing. I don't think it really says that. I'm just curious on your take there, guy. You know, that looks, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think it helps their case. I don't think it makes their case, but clearly when you see names like this, and you could, listen, we could talk about Cleveland Cliffs today, Freeport, McMoran, they all look uh, similar. We just chose to use letter X right now, and I totally get it. Um, This looks, if you really think about it, remember that Russell, the IWM chart that we looked at for the longest time, that was trading sideways for about 14, 15 months, had that false breakout, then subsequently went lower. By the way, if you do remember that, and I know Carter will, he actually talked about the rust of the small caps being a false breakout. I bring that up because this was a false breakout, and now we're at levels that we basically traded sideways at all of last summer. So it clearly helps the case of inflation is moderating, soft landing is possible, But again, this is anecdotal. I mean, I think you got to look at across a broad spectrum of things. And to your point earlier, unemployment is going to start to trend higher. I mean, all these things are happening at the same time. So you want to compare it to the 80s. I get it. 
but it's a completely different set yeah. of circumstances right now that we face. Um, and that's just my two cents. So we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, we will, Guy. And we're going to be doing it every day here on Market Call, playing it out. Um, let's talk about this one here. Exxon catching um, you know, a lot of ink. It's making a new all-time high. Last time, I guess, it was at these current levels was 2014. We'll talk about that a little bit. But it's pretty astounding. When you look at the one-year chart of Exxon, last August, the stock was trading at 52. Today, it's trading at 105. Mm -hmm. This is a $443 billion market cap company that was left for dead a year ago and now is up 100% from those levels. Pretty astounding. Talk to me about this. You have been a stalwart on the large integrated oil stocks. You've bought every rally of them. You've talked about it here on Fast Money. It seems to be on a bit of a runaway breakout when you look at this kind of chart going back to the start of 2020. You look at that 200-day moving average, which is rising, and it's just above that breakout level from the 2020 highs. What's your take on this here? And we're going to look at a long-term chart because I think that tells the broader story yeah. also. So let's put the long-term chart up while I talk because I think that is important. It tells a story. I mean, we're up against levels we haven't seen, I want to say, in eight or so years. This is what I'll say, and I've said it before, but hopefully there's some new audience members joining us so they haven't heard me say it before, but you know, ExxonMobil today is a much different company that was not only eight years ago, but probably three or four years ago because they've been forced to for a myriad of different reasons. Obviously, ESG is probably at the top of that list, but then when you had COVID hit, a lot of these places got shuttered down and they got forced to do things they probably didn't want to do. But in retrospect, it's probably the best thing that ever happened to these companies because they're now run far more efficiently. Their balance sheets have never been better. And they're just better run companies. And I think that's one of the reasons you're seeing these stocks move the way they are. I'll say this, and I, I think I've said this before. I think crude oil can trade sideways to slightly lower from here. And these names can still go higher. I think these names still have a lot of catch up to do in terms of how they're trading vis-a-vis -vis the underlying commodity. And valuations, although obviously more expensive than they've been, are still somewhat compelling. I, I just don't think people believe enough in the energy space. And we had a conversation earlier with someone, and what I said to her was, you know, it's interesting. ExxonMobil found itself on one side of the ESG ledger yeah. three or four years ago, the wrong side. And I can make an argument now that they find themselves on the right side of the ESG ledger, uh, the good side, because they've conformed and they've done things that have gotten them in line with ESG. So there are a lot of reasons to like these names. I understand that this move is a bit parabolic, and we're obviously at levels we haven't seen in eight years, a lot of people would say we're potentially putting in the monster double top here. I totally get that, and it's probably in a way it's going to play out. But the energy trade to me, Dan, is far from over. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Going back to 2014, guys, so that was when the Fed had just come off of their zero interest rate policy and they were ending QE. And what had happened? The dollar, we have this chart here of the Dixie, the U.S. dollar index overlaid against crude. And we saw the Dixie go from 80 to basically 100 in a straight line mm -hmm. in 2014. And that's really when crude oil had topped out. If you look at this chart, you see kind of how these the Dixie and crude have gone the opposite direction most of the time over this time period, except for right now. What's going on with the dollar rallying and crude rallying? And can it continue to, to kind of keep with this relationship right here? Well, it's interesting. So the, my answer, that, and this is people going to say you're talking your book, you're being dogmatic. I mean, my pushback would be, could you imagine where crude would be if the dollar was not a headwind for the yeah. commodity, right? And so I totally get it. So let's back that out. I can't do the counterfactual. What I'll say is... Crude's rallying despite the move in the dollar. 
I think the dollar move to the upside makes a lot of sense, given the jawboning and given what this Federal Reserve is on course to do. It makes sense that the dollar will rally. If this Fed backs off for whatever reason, softening economic data or the market creates a bit of a problem for them, the dollar will sell off precipitously. And I think that will give the green light for crude to go higher faster, if that makes sense. So does this chart make sense to me? Yeah. In the context of the answers I just gave, yes. But again, you know, that's the lens that I look at through. A lot of other people look at it a, a little bit differently, I think, Dan. Well, I have, and, and I'm certainly surprised at the way, you know, crude has acted because the supply-demand dynamics, I mean, th there's been plenty of headwinds to even the demand argument, you know? And so I get it. Let's see what happens. China's reopening after two months of lockdown in Shanghai. Let's see. Uh, I, you know, to me, I think that this summer is likely to see a big pullback um, in the energy complex. But what do I know? I probably said that a couple times over the last... You you know, three to four months. Um, here's one, you know, we had Marco Kalanovic. Um, he is a strategist over at JP Morgan on Fast Money last night. Here was the headline from it. He sees uh, $150 uh, barrel oil, but he mm -hmm. also sees by the end of the year, new highs in the S&P 500. I think you and I probably have a hard time kind of squaring that up because, you know, we had Mike Wilson from Morgan Stanley on our podcast on the tape a couple of weeks ago. And he said, listen, if we see 150 oil in the last couple of times, we've seen $150 oil, you know, it's basically been followed by a consumer led recession. So I, I just don't know how stocks could rally if we are going to be in a recession at some point in the next, I don't know, three to nine months or so. I can get to that point, and this is how I'll get to his $150 crude with stocks rallying. Um, if the economic data continues to be soft, and then that gives this Federal Reserve air cover to not be as hawkish as they are, I think the stock market will interpret that as a bullish sign. With that said, I think that will also give the green light for commodities, specifically crude oil, to go higher. So, you know, I can paint that picture. I don't think that's how... He gets there. That's yeah. how I can get there. But short of that, $150 crude in the environment that we find ourselves in, th there are no set of circumstances other than the one that I just mentioned that I can come up with that would be bullish for the broader market. But again, that's why we do these things. And that's why people, again, I tell people all the time, listen to everybody, but don't listen to anybody. And what that means is, you know, take in all the information you can, listen to people's opinions and points of view and how they get there. But at the end of the day, you have to make the decisions based on those things. So- yeah, that's that. But that's how I can reconcile what Marco's saying. Although, again, I think he gets there through a much different lens or a much different path. All right. Before we bring Carter in, let's just kind of quickly hit the SPX and the NDX charts here, because, again, Carter was on with me on Monday when you were not on and he did some great work there. Um, I just wanted to highlight this SPX chart. You see it. We're 4150. We're in this little bit of a flag. We had that really nice bounce over the last couple of weeks. It looks like it really wants to kind of break out above that technical resistance resistance above 4200. Maybe it makes a run mm -hmm. to that 200 day. Talk to me a little bit about this again. You know, I, I'm not I don't think this is a fade right here. I know Carter thinks that we probably break to the upside um, and you know in the face of that negative news yesterday at a target their second guide down in two and a half weeks the market acted pretty well really well the market acted really well the reversal yesterday in the broader market I thought was really extraordinary given the fact that you know this is twice now for target in the course of what two and a half weeks or so yeah. um, where they said some pretty um, extraordinary things in terms of their business, in terms of inventory and demand and those types of things. So I thought the market handled it well. Why I thought it handled it so well is because I think what the market is saying, maybe it's Target and Walmart specific. I don't think that it is. 
And I don't think you think it is either. And I think nope. to a certain extent, the sell-off we're seeing today is maybe people reconciling the fact that, hey, wait a second, this could be a much larger story than just those two retailers. We'll see. In terms of the levels, your levels are exactly right. And then Carter might be 100% correct that this overshoot to the downside that we saw you know, a few weeks ago, it's going to be matched with an overshoot to the upside. I'm a little more hard-pressed to get there. But with that said, you know, if we get back up to that 150-day or 200-day moving average, which is rolling over, by the way, we mentioned yeah. a number of times, we'd still be in a pretty significant downtrend from the November-December highs. So you know, you look at that, and I see a downtrend line from those November-December highs that maybe the third point comes in right around that 200-day moving average, Dan. Yeah, real quickly, though. So the NDX and NASDAQ 100, it has not even no. really threatened to get above that 13,000 level, which I think is interesting because every day it seems to be another piece of bad news there. And let's talk about that bad news, but let's bring in Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Carter, welcome back to Market Call. How are you, bud? How are you? Good, I'm good. Oh, look at you. You're handsome in that red suit. Before, <laughs> listen, Carter, sweater. I'm going to throw one I'm, right I'm at early you. for Christmas today. Yeah. You're a handsome man. So we got a question, and this is right up your alley, because um, I get this question all the time. I don't know how to answer it, because whether something trades up 10% on one share or 100 shares, it's still a 10% move, and you still, if you're long that equity stock, whatever it is, you're still making money. Here's the question. What do you guys make of the low volume? I think the SPI was the lowest volume of the year yesterday. I don't know that. That's I'm sure I'm taking him or her at their word for that. But the question doesn't really, it doesn't matter if that's fact or not. A question comes around to volume. Does volume make a difference in your work? It's more important than any moving average. And it's actually really more important than the price itself. So if you think about it, it's, it's volume that makes something interesting. So the not to get us all back into school, but the existentialists like uh, Camus or Sartre would say existence precedes essence. Mm. And in markets, volume precedes price. The greatest moves to the downside are occurring because there's a panic. People are dumping. It's bad. My God, Enron is bad. Or to the upside. My God, I'm late. I got to get more Apple or more Exxon. Volume is biggest on newsprints. Obviously, FDA approval, you'll get a uh, a volume that's tenfold, or consider what happened in some of the retailers, Gap stores, uh, almost half the flu turned over. I, can I tell you something? You mentioned Jean-Paul Sartre on this show. Of course, he wrote Nausea, which I hope nobody is right now on the back of this market call. But that's why I join these things, because I'm not only a, not only a participant, I'm a, I'm a watcher. I'm a viewer as well, CBW. So thank you, Dan. Over to you. All right. Let, let's, let's do this thing because I think this is really important. We were just talking about the NASDAQ Carter real quickly and why it hasn't kind of threatened those breakdown levels from last month. And again, every day there's a new piece of news. Intel CFO um, was at a BOFA, that's B of A conference. It was kind of like a quiet guide down a little bit. We've been calling. We think there's going to be lots of mega cap tech names that are going to guide down. Here's a nice little summary from our friends over there at Street Accounts, which is a fact set product guy, and I use it every day here. And I think this is the quote that it really sticks out to me. Circumstances at this point are much worse than what we had anticipated coming into the quarter. And again, that just speaks to the fact that things are changing fairly quickly. Carter, I think it's pretty fascinating that you're ready for this. Intel, Intel's market cap is only 
4 billion greater than that of AMD. And there was a time when you, Guy, and me in this business, if you would bet us would that ever happen in the, in the, in the future of the stock market, we would have said no. Um, these are my fact set charts. I just drew a few lines here. Talk to me a little bit about this downtrend. It's below its pandemic lows. It can't get going. It's massively underperformed the SMH. And then the other one, Carter, real quickly, this 20-year chart going all the way back to you know 2000, this thing never got above, never got above its its dot-com highs. And now you see it breaking on a log basis, this uptrend that had been in place from 2009, the financial crisis low. And it's sitting here at what I think is probably key support, which was the breakout level going back to 2017. Give us, give us your take on Intel right here. Well, on the short-term chart, which of course is the key word, is just what you said. It's a downtrend, meaning uh, when you're underperforming your group, and you also mentioned that. So it's underperforming semis, the socks, but the semis are outperforming the Qs. So semis, actually, things like Avago and ADI and others act quite well. And here you have a semi, which is not only not acting well, it's acting worse than the group and worse than the Qs. Uh, and the price volume correlation is terrible. This is just a bad chart, and there's no reason to be long. It's a short. Well, I appreciate that. All right, Guy Dami, give it to me on a fundamental basis. You've liked AMD for an awful long time, and you've actually been calling for the flippening, right? For the for the the AMD market cap to get bigger than that of, of Intel. You liked a lot of the products. You liked their execution. You liked their management. You like um, you know a whole host of market share gains, all that sort of stuff. But Intel here at 12 times, you know, the balance sheet's fine. I mean, there's really no growth there. What's your quick take on Intel? That's been the argument for Intel for a long time, three, four years now, that you can get around it on valuation. You're not going to get killed owning the stock. The reality is you haven't really done particularly well owning the stock, and it just continues to grind lower. And this, and just again, just my opinion, I mean, this is Intel specific. I mean, they've just completely whiffed on a number of different things. Intel, to me, is sort of like the IBM in, in their world, if you think about it, and it forced IBM to make an acquisition in terms of Red Hat. And I don't think Intel has really gone down that route. They're going to be forced to do something at some point, I think. In terms of AMD, real quick, I'll say this. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Lisa Sue, but even that stock, since its all-time high a few months ago, almost was cut in half, which is extraordinary if you think about it. Seems to have found its footing for whatever reason. It seems to like 90.95, and it's bounced from those levels uh, valuation is still a concern. And in an environment where everybody's concerned about valuation, I don't think AMD is going to sort of find, um, they're not going to find any comfort in owning AMD at these levels. So although I think the company's great, I think she's done a remarkable job. I mean, when valuations matter, AMD is not going to be insulated from that. Fair enough. All right. Carter brought some really good work that he did over there at worthcharting.com. That's where you can find it other than when he's on market call um, with us. Car- Carter, talk to us a little bit. It seems like a little, uh, I don't know, you want to call it a word salad. What are, you, what are you doing here today with us? Well, one of the things we know is we're looking always for setups. Everyone knows what a breakout is. Well-defined tops at a common level, and then you get the breakout. Look what the defense contractors, Lockheed, or what you just pointed out, Exxon. We know what bearish to bullish reversals. One of the things we try to do is try to find matching patterns. We have software that does that. So for instance, these are four stocks and I purposely left the name off, just W, X, Y, and Z. Now, if you look at the next chart, I put in the S&P 500. So there's the S&P, that one's revealed in red. And you have to wonder, well, are those all the same? They must be the same kind of business, right? They must be, but here's the thing, watch what they are. Let's go and do them one at a time. So the next chart is just, 
all by itself. Guess what the yellow is? It's Autodesk. Now let's add the next chart. Now what in the hell, that's all you can say, right? Does Autodesk have to do uh, with BlackRock? Uh, just to be clear, the answer is nothing. Let's add the next one. Now that's sneakers. So just to get your mind around it, because it's mind bending, yes. Autodesk has nothing to do with footwear, which in turn has nothing to do with BlackRock. Let's add the fourth one. And that has nothing to do with coffee. You can say, well, Nike's is a consumer and Starbucks, eh, come on. Starbucks, <laughs> is it? Is it a Staples? I mean, coffee, drinking coffee is pretty uh, ordinary and regular. The point is we're trying always to find stocks that are bottoming or they're topping. They're setting up for breakouts or they're getting extended. And just as everyone loved tech six, seven months ago, they love energy now. It always mm -hmm. means revert. Uh, anyway, so my thinking is that these are the kind of things you want to find. Let's look at uh, two of them on their own. So the first one is, um, let's just look at Starbucks. Do we have a downtrend? Yes. Have we moved above the downtrend? Yes. Could we draw the lines in different ways, the head and shoulders? Look at the next iteration. Yes. Put it together. I, I mean, okay, now you can say, well, I'm, I'm short. All right, fine. That's what makes a market. I like that long. And it's based on, we're trying to find setups. Well, guess what? CRM looks like this. And, and so does Workday. A lot of the most bombed out stocks, look at the KWEB, look at the XBI. And this is an area to traffic in, all doing very well today, Baba, when the market's getting smoked. Mm -hmm. And then the final one, uh, just to look at, is Nike. And Nike's not quite above the line, but the premise is that there are always key moments to single out, to identify, and to try to make money off of. Yeah, and it's interesting, Carter. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned energy in this context because everybody, listen, clearly everybody loves energy now. I mean, this nobody talked about it six, seven months ago, last summer. Now everybody's talking about it now. It stands to reason you can have one of these days, for whatever reason, where some of these names go down 8, 10, 15%, especially some of these levered energy names. And I think to your point, and I think what you're trying to say is um, they will find solace in some of these bombed out names that have now theoretically broken these downtrend lines that they've been in for quite some time. So I'm with you that 100%. The one that's really compelling to me out of all those is Starbucks. I think, you know, that's been left for dead. This reopening in China, you mentioned Alibaba, again, a bombed out stock without question. We talked about, uh, excuse me, we talked about Alibaba a couple times on the show. Look at the move we're seeing today. And then subsequently, you mentioned Salesforce as well. We talked about Salesforce on Market Call last week. I think the stock, Dan, was trading about 163 in earnings. And we said this setup is perfect to get us back to 180 or so. Those are the types of names you're looking for. And I think you nailed it in terms of Nike and Starbucks. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It, you know, Carter, I'd also say it's, it's interesting. You know, explain to the, the viewer a little bit. You're not looking by sector. You're not looking by name. These are just literally the, these, these, these patterns yeah, are populating. I mean, I mean just to, as technique goes, right, yeah. I know that most people wear two hats. They're doing, they're looking at the yeah. business and they're looking at the balance sheet because they're also doing charts. And some people never look at charts, right? They're just pure fundamentals. But if you're going to be a pure technician, which is I, I never look at the fundamentals at all. And I'm, what I'm trying to sort of depict here, and this is the point, is that it really doesn't matter. Yes, long term, there's a relationship between your earnings and your share price. But the here and now, how things bottom, how they top, how they break out, it's all technical. And so to sort of really drill that point home, what in the heck does Nike have to do with BlackRock or BlackRock with Starbucks and so forth and so on? And so yeah. we're looking for great moments. They don't always work out. Of course not. But at least it's rules-based, and then you make your bets. 
All right. Well, here, here's a rule that I'm going to live by um, that tech companies never, ever do M&A at the bottom. They always do it at the top here. And that's just been my history over the last 25 years. But there's a headline this morning. Again, this is uh, coming from Street Accounts here. Roku's trading up about 10 percent. Um, Business Insider or Insider or whatever they call themselves now. Um, they're talking about you know, chatter heating up about an acquisition by Netflix. We know that when Netflix disappointed in April, they highlighted the fact that they need to figure out how to capture a bunch of the users that are not paying for subscriptions. They're going to add an, uh, an advertising-based model. So some people are thinking that, well, why wouldn't they buy something over building? Roku has built a streaming network based um, in large part on, on advertising. So that's a thought here. The only problem I have with this is that, you know, right now Roku has about a $12 billion enterprise value. It's come in a lot. We're going to look at the charts in a second here. And when you think about a Netflix with about a $100 billion enterprise value, I mean, this would not be a deal that I think Netflix, um, you know, uh, shareholders would like. They'd have to pay probably, uh, I don't know, 50 to 100% premium guy from these current levels. Do you agree with that as far as, you know, what they would have to pay to get Roku? And I just don't think Netflix basically has the balance sheet to do it. They have about $6 billion in cash, about seventeen um in debt, and a $90 billion market cap. I just don't see how a deal gets done. I think I was watching Squawk Box this morning. I, I think it was, it was a Rich Greenfield. I think you were watching it probably as well. And, and I think he said it was one of the most preposterous things oh, he's heard. Yeah in all his years doing in the business. And he follows this space extraordinarily closely. It doesn't make a lot of sense in terms of Netflix. I mean, effectively getting into the hardware business, I just don't see it happening. Um, it doesn't really line up with what they're trying to do. And in terms of the deal price, I think you're spot on. In terms of the Roku, though, the stock, if you're looking to trade something, um, I think it's interesting. You probably, again, you've put in these series of bottoms here, um, and maybe you can play it for a breakout for another 20 25% which is not ridiculous if you think about it in the context of where the stock has been. I'm not saying it's going back yeah. there, but you could see a 25, 30% move in this name and you're still in an extreme downtrend from levels we saw last summer. So again, if you're trading the stock, I think it makes sense. But if you're yeah. trading it because you think Netflix is going to buy them, I don't think there's any chance of that happening. All right, whatsoever. Carter, you got to hit this because to Guy's point, the stock is still down 80% from those all-time highs, but it's up 40% in the last month right. off of those lows. Talk to us about this because I look at this chart. If you took the axes off of it, right, and you know what I mean? I'd say, yeah, it looks like a coiled spring. Give me one piece of good news. It's got you know 8% short interest. Everyone hates it on the street. This never, never. Talk to us about this one-year chart. And then mm -hmm. I got to tell you, the five-year, is going to be the poster child for this period. Um, talk to us about that. Right. So that is what, how it's the rate of change, right? So that you can see the rate of change is abating. It, it made a slight new low uh, just recently, but each one is incrementally less dramatic. And now actually the last uh, dip, it didn't make a new low. And so that's what the early stage of a bearish to bullish reversal looks like. The second circumstance that's important is that it's no different than the KWEB or or BABA, or anything else, XBI, or Kathy Wood's ARC. These are very bombed out things, and, and a lot of them are finding their footing. Highly speculative to take something like this and bet, but I think you get 150 out of it. 
All right, let's look at the other one um, in this news headline a little bit. So it's Netflix, and we know that Netflix at its lows last month was down 76%. Now it's had a bit of a rally here. There is a massive gap to be filled. I'd, I'd probably be a lot more inclined to take a shot on Netflix if they came out and said, we absolutely have no interest in buying Roku. Guy, give me your thoughts here because there's been two massive gaps, right, this year so far. The stock was trading 700 at the end of last mm-hmm. year, got as low as... I don't know, 160 or something like that. And again, I think Reed Hastings, you say it all the time, he'll get this right. He's got a lot wrong in a very short period of time. But if you're willing to give him another couple of years, you're probably going to see a $500 stock again. Com- yeah, competition finally caught up. He addressed that. Obviously, it's been a couple quarters now, which is why I think the market is, uh, you know, is is basically taking them out to the woodshed the way they have. But let me just say this quickly. In terms of valuation, and this is probably about as cheap as Netflix has been maybe ever in just in terms of straight uh, P.E. multiple that they're trading at right now. Number two, if you believe that Netflix can get right on the content side and they're working hard towards that, I mean, this is worth playing for a bounce at these levels. And when I say bounce, I think Carter would agree. You fill that gap in and you're talking about a stock that can move 25 or 30 percent and still, again, like Roku, being a pretty significant downtrend. So for a play, I sort of like it here. And my sense is Carter work, Carter's work suggests similar. hundred uh, percent, right? So it's it's the circumstance that it's starting to base and bottom. It, it's very tentative. It's it's early going, but it has the look and feel of something that, hey, I'm stabilizing. And it's not that the chart is in existence. It's, it's that money is, yeah. is attracted to it. And so I'm with you. Now to fill the gap is a heavy lift. Yes, yeah. and in fact, when we dropped the gap in January, and then rebound, and we didn't fill all of the gap, but certainly into the gap. Yeah, let, let, let's just finish up here with a name that I think you guys will probably both be constructive on too. There's been a lot of name around face or a lot of news around Facebook. I just want to make one point though. You know, we were all fairly constructive a couple of weeks ago. We all thought the market got oversaw. We all kind of picked at a few things there. I certainly did, you know, some PayPal, some Snap, some QQQ, some stuff like that here. I, I'm not particularly constructive right now. I'm gonna tell you, I think the fact that okay, Intel is not that important of a company anymore, but what they have to say about the semi-supply chain, I think is really important. And I really think that we're going to see a lot of mega cap tech stocks, you know, start to eke out really poor, maybe pre-announcements and, you know, Q2 guidance. And I think Q3 is going to be bad. So I don't know, man, if they can't really get going and they can't put um, it can't get above your 4200 level in the S&P or above 13000 in the NDX. I think there's another leg lower. You know, I get it. Maybe they try to rip them into quarter end. And that's what they did in March. But I'm not that optimistic. I'm not feeling like after, you know, a 10 percent rally in the Nasdaq. I want to go buy a bunch of NASDAQ stocks that are up 20, 30%, even though they're down 70 or so. Talk to us real quickly, Guy. Give me your fundamental take on Facebook here. They had the news that Sheryl Sandberg's leaving last week. And then, Carter, I'd love to get your take on the technicals. Look, I mean, clearly they're making a pivot from Facebook, what it was just only a year or so ago, to what, they're, you know, what they want it to be. And I think there's pain associated with getting there. And to a certain extent, everything we're seeing in Facebook has been largely Facebook specific, but then you get some obviously economic factors playing in as well. What I find really interesting about this chart, um, and just in terms of for you playing our home game, look at what happened when the 50 day did in fact cross the 200 day and how violently that move was to the downside. So, you know, Carter will tell you technicals absolutely matter. I'm with you on this one, Dan, though. They can't seem to get out of their own way. They've had every opportunity to have a meaningful bounce over the last literally three and a half, four months, and it really hasn't happened. So 
I don't know what set of circumstances is going to lead it to happen. Now, I don't think it's going to come in the form of earnings because we've heard from so many companies saying, you know, their world is effectively slowing down considerably. I mean, it's a, how, how would I say, I guess that plumb, that low there, which you see at 169, right? That was back uh, April 25th or thereabouts. And while we're here at 197, um, the question is upside, that has to be figured on. But the first thing is risk management. Is there actual downside that we take out those lows? I don't think so. So I think the lows have been set. And now it's a question whether it just muddles and wastes our time and chews up capital or we get paid that it, it does climb higher. But the, the thought of, of substantial new lows, I don't think that's a, a large, uh, large odds bet. I love your work. I do. I love your sweater. I love everything about you. I love the fact that there's a clock there in the little lower quadrant where I can see what time it is. And I mentioned that because we actually went over today, folks. And I apologize because I'm typically extraordinarily respectful of everybody's time. Carter, thanks for yours. Dan, as always, thanks for yours. We'll be back tomorrow with EY from SoFi. But that's it for today's market call. Carter Worth, stud. I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet, powered by Open Exchange. As I mentioned, tomorrow is Thursday. EY from SoFi will join us, and she's really amusing herself. I'm just telling you now with the note she has ready for us tomorrow. So buckle your seatbelts, folks, and we'll see you later. See you later. Bye.